0: You're listening to Motherhood Stress, the podcast that talks all about the realities of being a mom in today's world, but also gives you practical takeaways for making the ride as fun and stress-free as possible. The way we live life is an art. I'm here to remind you of the power you already have to create a truly beautiful life. This episode is sponsored by Organifi. Organifi offers completely organic, vegan, non-GMO superfood blends that makes it incredibly easy to incorporate superfoods into your diet. Um, It's got things like chlorella and spirulina, um, turmeric, ginger, you know, they have mushroom blends, just an amazing array of products uh, to help you boost your immune system and incorporate true nutrition into your diet. While also being insanely easy, so go to shop.com and use the code LizC15 for an extra 15% off your purchase. This episode is also sponsored by Sunday Scaries. They are the CBD gummies. Uh, they are non-psychoactive. They do not contain any THC, but they're awesome for stress relief, pain relief. If you feel like you need to uh, have a little help taking the edge off, these are amazing and there's no side effects. You're not going to feel out of sorts at all by taking these. You're just going to feel the benefits. Um, Check them out at 4FORSundayScaries.com and use the code UNSTRESSED for 10% off your purchase. Guys, I literally just recorded this episode, but the content was so good. I could not wait to edit it and get it all together and out into the world for you because the information that my guest shares on the issue of gut health it could be life changing. I mean, I learned so much, and I consider myself someone who's always reading medical journals and articles and things like that, publications, listening to lectures. Like, I feel like I'm pretty on the up and up of what's going on with cutting edge uh, holistic health information, but. Dr. Kimberly O'Brien completely flipped the script and gave me some amazing new info, so I'm so excited to share that with you. And if you've been dealing with gut health issues or you feel like your energy levels are low, you have fatigue or headaches, you just feel like something's not right, it could very well be related to the health of your gut. It could be with your microbiome or maybe there's some hormonal issues going on directly related to the health of your gut. There's just so many things and everything is so connected and so what she talks about really helps give you a starting point to start figuring out what's going on. If you're feeling out of sorts, if maybe you're a little depressed or you just feel like your energy levels aren't where they're supposed to be, she provides you with so many tools to start being your own detective. And if you feel like you might need some extra help, she offers her services as well. Um, and it's just a really great starting point to figuring out, you know, maybe, maybe I need to start making some changes. Like maybe something's not going the right way for me. So I'm just so excited to share this episode. You know, she really does offer so many helpful hints and, and starting points for us on this journey of ultimate health, you know, and, and kind of what we talked about, like I have so much more energy now than I did in my twenties. And you know what, it's directly related to what I'm putting in my body and how I'm taking care of my body. So again, I'm so excited to share this with you. I hope you get so much out of it. I hope that you know what we talk about helps and shapes your life in some positive way. So really, thank you for being here and enjoy the episode. I'm here today with Dr. Kimberly O'Brien. She is a naturopathic doctor, a podcast host, and creator of the Healthy Life Redesign, which helps clients transform their lives through food. So welcome, Kimberly. I am so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for having me, Lizzie. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Well, just to kind of give us some context and and a little bit about your background, why don't you get into how this all started and how you got on the journey of, of this line of work? Yeah,
1: definitely. I would love to. So as you mentioned, I'm a naturopathic doctor. And to qualify that, I find a lot of people aren't necessarily familiar with what that means. So From an educational standpoint, it's similar in duration of training to conventional medicine in that it's eight years long, but the focus is very different. So in my practice specifically, when I'm working with my patients, I'm really focused on identifying and treating the underlying cause of what somebody may be presenting with. So as an example, if somebody has a headache, I'm not going to be just giving them something to take away the pain, but I'm going to be figuring out what's causing that and treating things at that level. And my practice really focuses mostly on digestive health and hormones, which is at the root cause of so many of the different concerns that we might be experiencing, whether that's uh, fatigue or skin conditions. And the way I ended up in naturopathic medicine myself is going way back to when I graduated high school, I knew I was really interested in medicine and that I really wanted to be able to help people with their health. So I went in to university and I did a neuroscience degree. And through that four years, I had a lot of health concerns coming up myself. And I found that the solutions that I were getting that I was getting through the conventional medical system were fixing that one problem temporarily, but that I had a whole host of other things that were coming up from that. And I became really frustrated in my health. And I found that starting the program as a relatively healthy person, by the end, I just felt that I just wasn't feeling very good. I was always feeling bloated. I was feeling tired. I had a whole host of female health issues that were always cycling back and forth, and eczema, and by the end of that program, I was just really questioning, is this what I want to do? I wasn't finding any solutions myself, and it took me a couple of years of discovery, and it was through traveling and meeting other people and looking at things more from a nutritional approach that I discovered naturopathic medicine, and once I learned all about what that really was about and what the foundations of that Uh, meant for my own health and ways that things could be better addressed. I knew honestly pretty much instantly that that's what I had to do and that paved really everything from then on and everything that I've learned through that process has been so transformational for myself that my passion just always gets relit as I help others and see that same shift for them.
0: Well, and I think that that puts you in such an awesome position, too, because not only have you done, you know, the educational work to get to where you are, but you've lived it, you know, and so you can relate to someone and say, hey, I get it. You're frustrated. You don't know what's going on with you. And and you want to find out, you know, there's a better way than just masking the symptoms. And you just come from a place of real knowing and real understanding. So I think that that's really powerful and really helpful, you know, because people can tell if someone really cares, you know, people can tell if someone's really genuine and, and for you to be able to share your story like that, I think is, is immensely um, helpful.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I I find that too. I mean, I I feel like it's so helpful just to have been through things personally. Um, And again, it's not like I ever felt like I had this really bad level of health, but I just never felt that things were where they could be. And I always had this feeling that health was Kind of hard. And what I settled for in my health was so much lower than what I settle for now, even though it's 10 years later and everyone thinks that their health becomes more difficult as they get older. But here I am feeling so much better than I did in my 20s -hmm. because I just, I know what I need to do. And yeah, I love being able to share that with others.
0: I love that. And I love that you didn't give up either. Like, you're like, no, this is just not normal. This is not the status quo. I'm going to find a better way. Like, that's, that's really empowering too. So I feel like if anyone listening now is going through that and just, you know, you don't have to deal with gut issues or, you know, IBS, there, there are things you can do if you get help. So I love uh-huh. that. we're going to, we're going to get all into that. Yeah. Today. <laughs> um, so why do you think gut health, especially now is such a hot topic? I mean, I feel like I see articles on it every other day, which is also part of the reason why I wanted to have you on the show, because I feel like there's so much out there and there's new stuff coming out all the time. Why do you think that is?
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. It is a huge topic right now. And I think one, it's because so many people are experiencing challenges when it comes to their gut health. So irritable bowel syndrome seems to be something that so much of the population has been told that they have, and I'm sure we will dive into that. To me, irritable bowel syndrome is not a diagnosis, it just means that something is irritating the bowels, and we need to figure out what that is. But so many people are experiencing these symptoms. And then, what I find over the years that I've been practicing is gut health is so foundational for everything else that is going on. So even for people who are listening who might not have digestive issues, uh, like maybe there's not bowel concerns or bloating or anything from that standpoint, it doesn't mean that there's not digestive imbalances that are leading to the other concerns that they might be experiencing. So they might have headaches or low energy and this can all root back to the gut. And this is for multiple reasons. One, about 70 to 80% of our immune system is actually located within the gut. So it's really our interface between the outside world and what's coming into our bodies and then everything that's being digested and absorbed to be able to fuel our cells. And on that note, it really, when we're looking at things like hormones and people's energy levels, it has to do with, are we actually absorbing the nutrients from our food. So, are we actually being able to pull the nutrients that we need from our food and digest them and incorporate them into our cells and to produce these hormones? And if we're not, if there's anything going on in the gut that's pro, uh, prohibiting that, then we run into. Issues. Bacterial uh, balance is a really huge topic as well. Uh, really crazy fact that can sometimes weird people out a little bit is that we actually have nine times more bacterial cells in our body than we actually have of our own human cells. So We're more bacteria than human. <laughs> we are, yes, by about ten times. And so. That bacteria plays massive roles in our digestive function, but really our overall health. And the studies are just starting to look at this more and more. Uh, For example, a lot of our thyroid hormone is activated by the bacteria in our Hmm. gut. And also when we look at uh, hormone balance for, for women, a lot of our estrogen is conjugated, meaning that the bacteria in our gut needs to attach these little chemicals onto the estrogen so that our bodies make sure that they're excreted once they're metabolized by the liver instead of just being reabsorbed into circulation. So even for women who have PMS as their primary concern, looking at gut health and gut bacteria can really be something that can be really important and
0: play into that whole treatment plan for them. Wow, that's fascinating. That's something I didn't know the the connection with the estrogen, um, because I know like the issue of you know the in the food that we eat a lot of that can't, contains um, like fake estrogen in it, and so that immediately goes into the gut. So I wonder if that interplay, you know, is is important. I mean, I'm sure it is, and how that affects the bacteria and the microbiome in the gut, and then all the other things that can come as a result of that, whether it's cancer or whether it's simply PMS or or anything like that. Can you speak a little bit to that? Elaborate more on that? Yeah, there's a couple of different things when we look at estrogen in foods. So
1: one foods like soy and foods like flaxseed have what's called phytoestrogens in them. And those can tend to be more balancing. So I, I sometimes will actually use flax as a treatment for either high or low estrogen because when something is a phytoestrogen, it binds to our estrogen receptors. And if there's not a lot of estrogen in our bodies, it's going to activate them uh, a little bit. So if we're not having a lot of hormone, we're getting some activation in that regard. But if we have a lot of estrogen, then it's binding to those hormone receptors. And all of the estrogen in our body that would act stronger than that can't act in the same way. So some of those phytoestrogens can be helpful, uh, depending on the scenario for each person. But then there's also a concern with more endocrine-disrupting hormones, and that tends to come in the form of exposures through uh, through plastics, really, primarily, and pesticides and chemicals that are in our cosmetics, and those chemicals act in our body like estrogen, and they can definitely have impacts on things like our gut bacteria, and it can really put a lot of stress and uh, pressure, basically, on our digestive health because... The liver and our digestive system is so interrelated. So if our liver is overburdened and really trying to process all these chemicals, then that can impact what's going on from a gut bacteria standpoint as well. And so those are the things that I would say are more uh, more concerning to look at. I recently did an episode on my own podcast that talks about detoxification and how that's so central to our health for these kinds of reasons to support clearing those things through.
0: Wow. And it's like our bodies work so hard to process all this out. They're constantly doing that. But if they never catch a break, if they never do that detoxifying, you know, those detoxifying actions that you discuss in your, in your episode, which I think everyone I'll have that in the show notes so they can check that out. um, it, It gets overloaded. And I think that's when, you know, disease happens. And, you know, if you're in a constant state of inflammation, I mean, that's you know the super highway to all a multitude of diseases coming up so i think that's so interesting and i love that you said you know those phytoestrogens like soy you know like that are found in flaxseed that that's actually good because i think so many women are afraid to eat soy and so many men as well because they're afraid they're going to have too much estrogen in their in their body but you know from what i got from what you were saying was it's actually a really good balancer like the plants are our friends.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I should clarify the soy a little bit because the soy can be, it can go two ways. And so I find fermented soy is a better option and that the foods that are more processed soy that are higher in soy protein specifically. So, things more like um, tofu or the texturized vegetable protein that is really more of the specific soy protein extract that can potentially have more issues, especially if women are more estrogen dominant. So, if they have higher levels, it acts, I find it tends to act a little bit stronger. But the fermented soy products, like A soya sauce or miso, which I love in salad dressings, that Mm -hmm. I find can be a lot gentler and more modulating. But I love the flax specifically from the phytoestrogen standpoint because it also helps with that detoxification and the gut health because doing ground flax is a really good source of fiber too. And our bodies need that fiber in our digestive tract to one, ensure bowel regularity and to make sure that everything's flowing, but then also to make sure that anything that our liver detoxifying is again, getting pulled through the uh, digestive tract and out instead of just staying there and being reabsorbed. So flax is definitely my go-to.
0: I love that. I didn't know that. I mean, I've always had flax like on my oatmeal and in smoothies and things like that, but I, I didn't really know the deeper levels that that it brought. So I love that. Thank you. Um, so we kind of talked a little bit earlier about how our gut health and the microbiome is connected to, you know, how happy or sad that we might feel our emotional state. So can you tell us, um, how our gut health affects our mood and emotions? What's the connection?
1: Oh, I love this topic. Um, this one is huge. And so, like you just said, so much of, so many of us have so much inflammation going on in our bodies. And that's another topic that I've, I, that's a whole topic in and of itself. But basically, when we have inflammation, whether that's caused from too much toxicity in our body or hormone imbalances, or maybe specific foods that are causing inflammation for us, it changes the release of our, uh, sorry it changes our brain chemistry. And so when we think of things from an evolutionary standpoint, if we have a lot of inflammation in our bodies from maybe having too many processed foods in our diet or not getting the right amount of nutrients in our diet to be able to counteract that inflammation, uh, if we look at things from that evolutionary standpoint, when we were sick back in the day and we were um, hunter gatherers and we had this tribe with us, from an evolutionary standpoint, it would make sense for us to be more antisocial for no better word, to stay, to want to stay by ourselves uh, so that we're not spreading these germs or this disease with others. And so keeping it to ourselves until we recover, it's also really important for our bodies to be able to take that time and put that energy into reestablishing our health and resting. Uh, So when inflammation comes and it's for a a limited duration of time, that is a very helpful Mm -hmm. way for us to be wired. But the problem is, is that so many of us now have inflammation on an everyday basis, often without realizing it. I I find a lot of people don't really understand what inflammation is. So if you're one of those people listening, basically, if you have a lot of these symptoms that we've been talking about, your body likely has inflammation. And our job is to figure out What's causing it? But basically, that process of these inflammatory cytokines, as they're called, changing the release of our dopamine and our serotonin and all of these happy brain chemicals that would make us want to get out into the world and live our life fully, having that shut down is no longer something that's helping us from an evolutionary standpoint. And it's leading to this fatigue and this low energy and This depression and often things like anxiety. And so I see so often that even though we're not working on anything at all that seems directly related to uh, brain health or mental health, that when we work on things, especially from a digestive level, that people's mood and their energy really dramatically increases. So that's one of the big connections. I know it gets pretty technical, but uh, there's a lot of connection there. And then otherwise... 95% 95% of our serotonin is actually produced in our gut and not in our brain. And there's a nerve called the vagus nerve that goes from our gut to our brain and Scientists used to think that most of that communication was going from the brain down to the gut, but they're now finding that it's actually completely the opposite, and 90% of that communication is from our gut up to our brain. So there's huge impacts when it comes to how healthy our gut is and what's living there
0: for bacteria as to how we're feeling from a mood standpoint. That's fascinating. Now, I did hear earlier that, you know, the serotonin, most of it was produced in the gut. And that just shocked me. I mean, that's something I learned this year. And it's, it's just something so different than what we've all been taught. You know, like, we think that the brain is the master organ, it's the end all be all. And even still, like, there's not that much known about the brain. So to add in this gut element, and to to start to showcase that and to, and to start to realize how important it really is for, you know, how our body functions and how, you know, how we feel emotionally i mean that's just fascinating to me i just love it um so if our listeners you know start to feel like something's not right well maybe i should be feeling better than i am what are some things that they can look for to kind of start that self-diagnosis process and then you know what are some things that they can do to start to heal
1: Hmm. yeah really great question and the place where I start with a lot of my clients is first by looking at things from a nutritional standpoint and looking at their diet. And so, of course, this comes down to things like people, to the people who are listening, looking at How much of your diet is processed foods versus vegetables and fruits, lean meat, fish, nuts, seeds, healthy whole foods, things that when you look at them, you can really tell what they are versus things that might have a lot of chemicals in them and uh, a lot of sugars and preservatives and things that really aren't helping our health from that angle. So starting by doing a little bit of an inventory on that level is really healthy or really helpful and healthy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I always take it a step further. And what often surprises people is that it can, there can be something called food sensitivities that are affecting digestive health and that can lead to a lot of those other symptoms I've touched on. So things like headaches, skin concerns like acne or eczema, joint pain, fatigue. So a number of things outside of the digestive system, as well as those symptoms like irritable bowel syndrome or bloating and reflux. And so when I'm working with my patients, I spend a lot of time looking at whether they might have potential food triggers coming in. And to explain what that means again, when I first start talking about this, people are typically think I'm referring to food allergies. And usually they shut down and they say, no, no, I don't have any issues with food. I would know that. But food sensitivities are very different from food allergies. And so A food allergy is like that classic reaction to, let's say, peanuts, where Mm -hmm. somebody eats a food, they have this really immediate and fairly severe, typically, response that is very clear to see that that was caused by food. But with food sensitivities, the symptoms that can occur, they're very delayed. So it's a much more delayed immune response. Symptoms might take up to 72 hours to reach their peak. Yeah. And people are often eating these foods every day without any suspicion that they might be underlying all of these different symptoms. And the link is just that these foods with this immune activation are leading to that chronic inflammation. And that chronic inflammation is what's leading to all of these different symptoms. So I encourage people to think about things from that standpoint. I have a lot of my patients do what I call clearing the slate. And basically what that looks like is pulling out all of the most common food triggers from their diet for a short period of time. I structure it as a period of time from 11 to 21 days long. And I find for the vast majority of people, that's long enough to get a really good indicator as to if any of these foods are leading to their uh, symptoms or not. And then if they are, if during that period of time when they have all of these foods pulled out of their diet, if they feel amazing during that uh, time frame, which is not unusual for me to see these really outstanding uh, and really profound shifts in how uh, people are feeling from an energy standpoint and a digestive standpoint, then then we know that something's going on from that food level and we need to figure it out. If things aren't um, resolving as much as we would expect, then that's when we need to do a little bit more digging. And so that is definitely something that uh, listeners can look at on their own. Um, I'm happy to chat more about what that might look like here, but but basically it's looking at the food quality that we're bringing in from a nutritional standpoint and then definitely making sure that none of those foods, even some of those healthy foods, again, that the soy that we were just talking about, that can be a common food sensitivity. So that completely changes the game for somebody if that's one of their food triggers, uh, dairy, wheat or gluten-containing grains, eggs, corn, even nuts. So almonds and cashews especially I find can be triggers for people. So it's not like all of these foods are bad or any of them are bad. Um, It just depends on how your body is reacting to them. So that's a big thing.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And I think, have you ever seen anyone who, when they're starting to, because they might have no idea, like maybe it's several things that are triggering to them and they just don't know. Have you ever seen anyone who's taken these things out and instead of feeling instantly better, even if it's a trigger, they start to have like weird detoxifying symptoms and they they feel actually worse?
1: Yes, definitely. So the first few days, especially of the protocol, because I also encourage that people pull out Um, things that a a lot of us are reliant on, like caffeine, especially, but uh, also alcohol for for a short term, again, 11 to 21 days, anyone could do anything for that period of time. Uh, But that combined with pulling out these foods, especially if they're the reactive foods, what happens is our body is releasing typically a lot of cortisol to deal with the inflammation that we're experiencing. And when we pull those out, it's, our body going through this reset phase, and initially it doesn't always feel great. Right. And then from then, uh, I typically by about a week to 10 days, I see it's like the lights turn on for somebody, and they feel this really great shift. Sometimes it takes longer, sometimes it's not as long. I've seen people within two to three days on a diet like this. Basically it's called doing an elimination diet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've seen people when it's especially digestive symptoms and they're no longer being provoked by these triggers that can change really quickly. So yes.
0: So yeah, just to kind of get into more of your process and and what you do with clients when you work with them, because that's really your main focus, you know, what besides, you know, saying, okay, let's take out processed food. Like what do you exactly do with the standard client that comes in and says, Hey, I don't know what's going on. Something's not right. Like I need, I need your help.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I'm working with patients one-on-one in my practice, we spend a full hour together discussing their symptoms, their past health concerns, their health history, their nutrition, their diet. We look at everything. And I ask about their sleep, about their mood, and really wanting to get the full picture because my goal is always to tie together all of their possibly seemingly unrelated symptoms to try to find that unifying one or two underlying causes that's going on. And so sometimes I get more of a sense that it's food and there might be these food triggers, in which case I encourage them to look first and foremost at diet whether that be through lab testing or through doing an elimination diet type process Uh, sometimes I feel like it might be more hormone based and then we I I do a lot of more advanced lab testing with my patients and so this might be looking at uh, a full and complete thyroid panel instead of just looking at TSH which is what the brain is telling the thyroid to do, but not looking at active thyroid hormone production. So it might be diving in more from that angle or looking at their cortisol production. So that is one of our stress hormones and cortisol can affect our our gut bacteria. It can affect our thyroid health. It really affects our energy and our sleep. And so it really becomes really personalized at that point. But I do definitely rely a lot on the help from some of these advanced lab tests that allow us to look at things in more depth than what's typically available conventionally to really get these crystal clear answers. So we have specific targets when we go to treat things with nutrition or with herbal medicine, or even if, if I, I I have prescription rights where I practice. So it's not like I'm completely anti-pharmaceutical, but what I find is that 99% of the time, we don't need to go there. So um, yeah, I hope that gives
0: a little bit of insight into that. Absolutely. And I think that's such a good point. Like going, you know, trying to work on yourself and trying to figure out what's going on, you're going to be so much ahead of the game if you do that lab work um, and get that, you know, those tests done. So you're saying, oh, maybe my vitamin D is super low. Like, wow, I didn't know that, you know, maybe that's why I'm not feeling right. Or, you know, Having that clear picture, as you discussed, I think is crucial. So, and then yeah. to bring in with, you know, then your your elimination diet meal plan is is really key.
1: Yeah, and from a I, since we're talking specifically on digestive health, there's some really amazing labs out there for that. So we can look at a stool panel and see what is. what exactly is in a person's gut in regards to good bacteria, or is there any bacteria that shouldn't be there? Is there any yeast? And how well are people breaking down their foods? And so we're able to really get that inside picture. And so that can either allow us really to rule things in or out and make sure that anything that we're investing in regards to time and resources for treatment is really well-directed.
0: So that's what I want to ask next is, if, what are the main labs that you do run? You did mention stool, which I think kind of creeps a lot of people out. But hey, it gives yeah. you a better picture of what's going on. So what are some of the other tests that you like to run? Just so people can know. Yeah, yeah. So definitely the stool testing, people can cringe at. But
1: then once they do it, they find it's 100% <laughs> worth it. Um, I For digestive health, I do uh, often test for something called uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Uh, abbreviated as SIBO and so that's a breath test and that is basically looking for bacteria that's worked its way up from the large intestine into higher concentrations than it should be in the small intestine and so especially for people who find that they have a lot of bloating and that it doesn't seem to be really at all uh, related to food or if it is that it's more things like garlic and onions that are triggering it then that might be something to investigate. Um, I do a lot of food sensitivity lab testing as well in my practice. And so that is a finger prick blood test that basically that blood sample goes to a lab and the lab is looking for those antibodies. It's referred to as IgG antibodies uh, versus the IgE um, versus the IgE antibodies that are produced for food allergies. So the lab is looking for those antibodies to uh, hundreds of different foods, typically in the blood. And so that helps us to see on paper what might be going on from that food sensitivity standpoint. So um, from a digestive standpoint, those tend to be the most common ones. I also do a lot of screening for celiac disease in my practice because that is highly underdiagnosed and the cause of a lot of chronic uh, health concerns in regards to digestion especially and so for anyone who's not familiar or not 100% clear on what celiac disease is that is that reaction that's associated with gluten but people can basically have either a food sensitivity to gluten where you eat gluten which is the protein that's in wheat rye barley and spelt primarily so you eat that those grains and that gluten is causing that immune reactivity in your body your ba- body is basically reacting against the gluten with a food sensitivity but with celiac disease that goes one step further and that gluten triggers your body to react against itself and so your body starts destroying your small intestine and it flattens out all the little villi processes that are uh basically enable our body to be able to digest nutrients and so that is always something that's really important to rule out especially before people go gluten-free because if you have been gluten-free for a month or longer really then we can get a negative result on the celiac test even though you are celiac because that destruction stops so Um, yeah, so that's another main one as, as well as I I do a lot of urine or saliva based hormone testing Mm. and, um, organic acid testing,
0: but yeah, a whole number of really amazing tests available. That's amazing. And I think it's really important that you mention the celiac because it is one of the most undiagnosed things around, like some. You know, doctors don't even think to test for that. And they've got people whose hair is falling out or their nails are coming off. And they're like, well, you're just depressed or you don't really you don't really have anything going on. Um, I saw a speaker talk about this and it shocked me. I mean, she was literally about to be admitted to a mental institution because they just thought she was creating all of these symptoms and she wasn't really sick. And she was and she had celiac and actually her father had it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when it was finally diagnosed, it was like she got her life back and. Um, and so to test for that before you go gluten-free, I thank you for reminding our listeners to do that as well. So you can really get a full diagnosis. Wow. So, I mean, we're talking about transformations and, and diagnosing these things. What's some of the most amazing transformations that you've seen um, out of your clientele? Yeah, oh, such a good question. There's been
1: honestly so many. It's hard to pull one specifically, but in relation to digestive health, Um, Since I can't share patient names, we're going to refer to her as Sandra. Uh, She came in to see me about a year ago and she, she she was really struggling at that point on a lot of levels, uh, but most predominantly her energy was just absolutely rock bottom. And because of that, she felt really depressed. She had no motivation, no get up and go. And she was really, really struggling with her digestion. So she had, what had been diagnosed conventionally as irritable bowel syndrome, but basically she was spending up to an hour in the washroom each morning and just feeling like her bowels were just incredibly unpredictable. So it was affecting her ability to work, to be able to go on vacations, on drives, and she had basically been told that there was nothing that she could do to treat it short of taking, uh, like, Antidiarrheal diarrheal medications, and uh, she was just really feeling like, surely there must be something wrong, and so she came to see me, and we did look at things from a few different approaches, I definitely got the sense that she had some Food triggers that were aggravating her digestive health. And also that there was something going on from a microbial standpoint. So right away, I got her doing my elimination diet. And so we pulled out all of the most common food triggers from her diet. And so she was eating basically a lot of veggies and fruit and seeds and uh, meat and fish. And uh, it only took three days going into that for her digestive symptoms to dramatically shift. Uh, She was 80 to 90% better on a digestive front that quickly. Uh, We also did stool testing. And when those results came back a couple of weeks later, we found that her levels of yeast or candida were really high. And so we added in treatments to target that and her energy had improved a lot uh, through doing the elimination diet, not as fast as her digestive symptoms, but by about two weeks into it, she was feeling, uh, I think she had initially rated herself at a a one out of 10 on the energy scale. And she was maybe a five or a six. So she was doing a lot better, but there was still a lot of room for improvement. And so uh, we started treating the yeast overgrowth in addition to doing things from a dietary standpoint. And it took a few weeks, but by the time that we were really starting to target that, she was up to an eight or nine on the energy scale and her mood felt so much better. And she just really felt like she had her life back. So, I mean, that is obviously one that really, really stands out when she went through and did the reintroductions on the food. So started bringing things back into her diet to figure out what the food triggers were uh, she actually figured out she had a few triggers one of them uh was almonds one was corn and then one was dairy so things that she had been eating really often but not noticing any association because again that time frame is disconnected so um yeah there, I, I feel like I have so many stories like that though it just the longer I practice, the more my passion really gets ignited because you see people who come in feeling really kind of hopeless and frustrated and not knowing if there's any help for them and then we do what I often think in the end are simple switches. It can be work up front with you know pulling all these foods out of your diet to figure things out but Once we know what the triggers are, it becomes pretty, really straightforward once you figure out how to cook for yourself versus taking all of these medications or supplements every day. Right. And, and, but we just get these
0: amazing shifts.
1: So I love it.
0: Well, and that's so amazing too. It's like once a person sees how they can feel and how good they feel, there's no going back. I mean, there's no like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I wish I could have that ice cream because you know, it's going to kill your energy or it's going to make you feel sick and be on, you know, be in the bathroom all day. Like, it's, it's so empowering, I feel like, and, and I can understand why you love the work that you do, because you really are changing people's lives for the better. I mean, you take someone who, you know, can't even go on vacation, because they're afraid they're going to be, you know, in the cruise bathroom the whole time, or, you know, God, you know, what if someone's in there, like, I couldn't imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's so debilitating. And so to be able to give people the power to to really take control of their health and their lives, I think is amazing.
1: Ah, Thank you. Yes, I I definitely love it. I think I'm really Um, lucky to have found what I do.
0: I mean, too, going back to like your story and how you had to go through what you went through. I mean, it it was almost like you were destined to have that, you know, in your path so that you could be a light for others. Yeah, I think I really do believe in that. I think that we can't always put all the pieces together
1: when something is coming up for us and it can be incredibly frustrating and then it can really be this catalyst for change. And um, looking back, we can see why things happened that way because then it gives us an understanding or a motivation or a fuel to be able to help others.
0: Yeah, that's really clear. That really comes across. Um, So what's something, you know, people listening, you know, they're starting to broaden their awareness of of health and the importance of it. What's something that everyone should know about the importance of gut health? Why should they care?
1: Yeah. um, I think again, just because it's tied to so many different things. So again, for the people that feel like their digestion is pretty good, that was actually me. When I started out this whole process about learning about food sensitivities and figuring out my own health, I felt like my digestion was pretty good. Looking back now, I see that it wasn't. There was definitely room for optimization, but but just the importance that it's not only these digestive symptoms that, oh, it's, it's not that bad, I can live with it, it's, well, What else is it affecting for you? Maybe that's what's dragging down your energy and maybe energy is really a priority. And so we need to look at digestive health for that. Or maybe there's a link to your headaches or skin issues like eczema and acne can be so tied to digestion because skin is basically one of our other detox organs. And if we're not eliminating well, then our body starts trying to push everything out through our skin. So um, that's really the biggest reason why, why to care. And then also, I think a lot of people stop caring because they think that there's nothing they can do about it. Maybe they've been told that and realizing that there's so much that can be done and that there's like this whole next level of health available to you and how you can feel that if you just break through and figure out how to really fuel your body well and make those changes that will really make the difference for you.
0: I love that. I love that. So for the people listening that are like, okay, I'm gonna care about this. I wanna get into this, what are some primary things that they can start doing today to to start feeling better?
1: For sure. There's definitely a few things. So first and foremost, goes back to eating Eating real food. So, again, like get some vegetables on your plate. I often recommend uh, to my patients and to my clients to have half of your plate at lunch and dinner being veggies. And so, uh, corn and potatoes don't count for vegetables. So, looking at things that are green and red and orange and getting that color onto your plate is really going to help from a fiber standpoint and from a nutrient standpoint try to minimize the intake of the really processed or sugary foods so make the gradual shifts in your home so even if we're looking at something like salad dressing it can be really easy to start making your own homemade vinaigrettes and doing things like that and the flavor is just so much fresher and then you're avoiding a lot of these extra preservatives and additives and things that really aren't as fueling so That's definitely one thing to start uh, paying attention to. Um, Food timing is something that we haven't really touched on yet, but something that can be beneficial. So I find a lot of people start grazing throughout the whole day and thinking often even that that's something that's good because it's keeping their energy levels steady. And we do want to snack, but you don't want to be constantly munching on food throughout the day because it doesn't allow our digestive system to clear so we have something called the migrating motor complex in our gut and it flushes our digestive system fully through about every hour and a half so we want it to go through at least one ideally two cycles to be able to like get the food cleared down and have its effects on uh, the bacteria. Make sure that that bacteria is not accumulating in the small intestine, like I talked about with the SIBO. And so from a meal timing standpoint, I like to see people have breakfast within the first hour that that they get up and then to have a snack about three hours later, and then their lunch about three hours later, and really to time things that way. And then ideally not to be snacking into the evening because that can affect hormones and sleep and things there. So, so food timing about three hours between meals and snacks is ideal. Um, The next level is definitely looking at personalizing food intake. And so, especially if you're somebody who has those symptoms that I was uh, discussing in relation to food sensitivities, it is 110% worth it to do an elimination diet or to do food sensitivity testing. And each it, that it's a long topic in and of itself. The benefits of one versus the other, but I love doing elimination diets because you can see that impact really quickly in your own health. Um, but to look at things from that angle, because I see again, all the time that people just haven't been suspecting that going on. And they are really surprised when they find out how much a particular food may have been leading to a lot of their symptoms. And then last is no matter what you're eating, even if you know, like, you are eating your food sensitivities as we speak and you're listening to this show or you're sitting there and you've got that bag of chips whatever it is choose to eat that consciously i'm not about deprivation i'm not about criminalizing any one food no matter what it's about how we feel when we're eating it and mm. about being kind to yourself and making those changes and if you slip up it's fine just make a better choice tomorrow and the more you get that really more clear picture of how foods are affecting your body, it becomes easier to actually want to eat the right things because you start to actually see results when you are doing that. And, um, yeah we just don't we just don't want people feeling guilty and shaming themselves over having that indulgence. You will still see me even though my main food sensitivities are the classic wheat and dairy. I will still go for the occasional pizza or ice cream cone. I just know what to expect when I have it and I do it way 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 less than I used to because my um standards have gone up for myself as far as how I want to feel so.
0: I love that. I love it. And I love the message of being kind to yourself because, you know, we're all imperfect humans. We're doing the best that we can, you know, and the more you shift towards a place of kindness, towards yourself and loving kindness, I feel like you're more apt to make Better decisions, and you're not going to beat yourself up the next day. You're just going to say, "Okay, course correction. Let's let's do that a little bit less next time." I realize how that made me feel, so I love that, and I think that that's really helpful for people because so often, and I speak from my own experience, we come down so hard on ourselves, and we're so critical, and we're so you know, you got to be perfect, you got to do it this way, and it's just insanity. You know, it's just not. You're not going to get very far with that kind of thinking. You're going to get much further with being kind to yourself and and yourself essentially and, and, and taking care of yourself because I, I also had a really, you know, adverse reaction to dairy and for years and years and years growing up had no idea. You know, I was, mm-hmm. our family went through gallons of milk, even in college, I was drinking milk and eating cereal. My roommates can tell you. yeah <laughs> um, and it was, and it, I don't know, like, in my skin was affected. I was, I looked very inflamed. Like I, I look at old pictures of myself and it was kind of like chip monkey almost. And mm-hmm. when I was in that mode, like I didn't know, I didn't understand, but I definitely had way less energy than I do now. And now I'm a mom of two and it's like, I have just, you know, boundless energy. And it's like, wow, you know, if only I would have known, you know, now what I knew then. And it's just, you know, it's amazing. But going back to that, what are some of the main things that people should avoid? You know, we're talking about elimination diets and things like that. What are the easy foods that you can tell people like, hey, these are known triggers for the majority of human population? Yeah. Um, So again, from a food sensitivity standpoint, it's so variable.
1: But the most common ones I do find tend to be the wheat or the gluten containing grains and dairy. Again, it's definitely not the issue for everyone, but if I was to generalize and see what I find coming up the most often, it tends to be that. Um, But again, what what I find with that, a little bit of a side, and then I'll get back to the other most common things that can lead to it. But um, when we're trying to figure out food sensitivities, I have so many people who come in to see me in my practice telling me they've already tried to figure it out. They've already tried going gluten-free or dairy-free and they didn't notice much of a change. And that is often because they can have additional food sensitivities that are also going on. And so if you picture, let's say you've just been at the beach and you've got maybe four four or five rocks in your shoe and you're walking home and you've got foot pain from these rocks in your shoe and you keep stopping and taking off your shoe and taking out two or three stones at a time and putting it back on, you're still going to have that pain in your foot. So you're going to think it's not really making a difference, even though with that example, it's quite obvious that they are, we're just not getting everything. And so I see that all Mm -hmm. the time when people are trying to figure out their food triggers is that it's just, we're missing something. And that's why I go so comprehensive with things off the bat. So we only have to do it once and we don't miss that information. So Long story to explain that dairy and wheat are most common, but if somebody let's say also has an issue with corn or with soy or with almonds or legumes or rice, like there can be so many different things that can come up, then we might miss that picture. But from a standpoint separate to food sensitivities, Uh, genetically modified organisms or GMOs can be a big one. And I definitely get pretty concerned with the way some of the non-organic foods are going. Uh, Again, specifically, some of the biggest issues with that are non-organic corn or non-organic soy. Um, With non-organic corn, what they've done is they've actually bred in the gene, uh, so meaning the genetic material, the DNA, into the corn seed that makes it so that the corn secretes something called BT toxin, which is a pesticide, from the inside of the kernel out. So you can't even wash it off. And how the um, BT toxin basically kills these pests is by poking holes in their digestive tract and causing this leaky gut that causes all the bacteria to leak into their circulatory system and it kills them. Oh my God. Oh. I know. It's like, it's crazy. And people like we're eating this. And I just think this is a terrible idea for one. I mean, we have zero research as to the long-term impacts of something like this. We look at the rise of all of these digestive concerns and then we look at what we're doing to our food. And I mean, the root of a lot of these food sensitivities is something called leaky gut syndrome, which again, I talk about in some of my podcasts and I've got eBooks on my blog, uh, healthy life redesign that talks about all the, all of this more in depth, but we're eating these pesticides that are causing in these pests, what is occurring in us? And I mean, is there a link? I don't know, <laughs> but I don't really want to find out. And Then they're also breeding in genes that make it so they can spray more Roundup, so these herbicides onto these products. So we're getting higher uh, herbicide and pesticide exposure, and that is just more work on our liver, if nothing else, to need to detoxify all of these. So, So choosing organic, especially for corn and soy, is definitely the way to go, because if you choose organic, it's not genetically modified, and you're avoiding those issues. And then it's just the overly processed foods again. Mm. So if you're looking at a package, just check out the ingredient label and see if you recognize any of that. Or is it all these like chemicals and colorings? Like when you look at an ingredient label and you're seeing like blue number two and red number five and all of these colorings, again, keep in mind those are chemicals and that's not doing anything good for your body. So especially with fatigue and anxiety and depression and digestive systems. Uh, symptoms, really, because it's all going through there. uh, Those can all be triggers.
0: Wow. Well, I mean, I just learned something today about that, that BT toxin giving the bugs leaky gut and how they could not see that that would do the exact same thing to us. We're all organisms. Like how Mm -hmm. could that not have the same exact effect? Wow. I mean, that's mind blowing. Um, Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And that's just criminal that they put that into our food system. Like really?
1: I know. Yeah. It's pretty scary. It's pretty disappointing to see when stuff like that happens and you just scratch your head a little and wonder why.
0: Right. Because not only are, you know, we eating that, but most of I find like the corn and stuff and wheat that's produced is actually given to cattle. So Mm -hmm. in factory farm feed and things like that. So when you eat meat from a McDonald's or whatever, like you're getting all of that again in addition to all the antibiotics that they give the animals to keep them alive. And it's just, wow. I mean, no wonder this is such an issue. Like we, I feel like we just Mm -hmm. came full circle and answered that first question. Like this is why, because, you know, we're being systematically poisoned. And so of course there's going to be, you know, reactions to that. Um, Wow. Yeah. It's, Huge. Yeah. Well, I mean, luckily there's people like you, you know, helping people sift through that and, and, and go for, you know, the more real organic foods that are going to essentially save their lives and improve the quality of their lives. I mean, that's everything.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally. It is. It all starts with diet and the power is in your hands to just to be able to make those shifts and sh- make those choices. And again, so powerful, the change that diet can make. So don't underestimate that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so to kind of round out the interview and it's a question I ask all of my guests on the show, cause I feel like it really, you know, puts a good end to the interview and also brings in, you know, some more self-awareness for us all. Um, so my question is what's something that you've learned that you wish someone would have told you earlier on in life?
1: Mm, that's such a good one. I feel like there, again, as I've said to a few of the questions, there's so much that could come up for, for this, but since, we're talking about health. I think that it would be that really health doesn't have to be hard. And I've seen it for myself looking back before I knew more about how my body worked and how to better fuel it. And definitely have just seen this reiterated and confirmed over and over with my patients, but we can be putting in 90% of the work thinking that we're doing the right thing. But if we're not really clear on what our body needs, it can be so much easier. Um, so instead of thinking for myself, you know, before it was, well, okay, I'm thinking about things from a natural health standpoint. So I go to what supplements do I need and investing all this money into taking all of these different things. And, uh, you know, really looking at calories and, and looking at things of food restriction and all, all of that, it became so much easier when I just figured out what worked for my body and looked at things closer on a nutritional level and really used a little bit more of my common sense about it. So cut out a lot of that processed stuff, stopped eating so much sugar and stopped beating up on myself over it too when I did have those things and it just became easier. And so another... that I was thinking when you asked that question is mindset. I've learned so much over the years, how much mindset is important to everything. And that really like our thoughts both create and define the reality that we are experiencing. And so if you find yourself listening, thinking right now that health is hard or health has to be hard, or you've really been struggling in your health, like that's one of the number one things to start telling yourself the opposite and start looking for ways that health can be easy because then we get that flow. And so I've seen that for myself being stuck in this resistance mode and you just start affirming all of the bad stuff going on that you don't want. And it's a constant ongoing work and practice for me and I think for everybody, but the more we can shift that and just find the positive and focus and affirm to ourselves where we want to go with things, then that really makes it so much easier.
0: Wow. I love that. I feel like that's an answer that can empower so many people listening because, you know, we're taught, you know, oh, diets are hard and losing weight is hard. It really doesn't have to be. It really doesn't. If you can just move into a state of love and you're going to care for yourself and you're going to choose the very best for yourself because it makes you feel good. You know, it's a win-win for everybody, you know, you and your family and you know, your colleagues, and it just keeps going. And and really, I think when people move into that state, they become an inspiration for so many others, because they're living it.
1: Yeah, and kudos to you for doing this podcast and sharing this with everyone who's following you, because it's so important. I think we need more people sharing this message of, um, of health and, and inspiration and just giving people support through everything, because that's what it's all about. So, uh, so I love everything that you're doing through your show and your social media. And thank you for that.
0: Well, and likewise, you too, with your podcast, I mean, it's, it's all good. We're all, you know, we're all just here trying to help each other out.
1: <laughs> Definitely. <laughs>
0: um, so if people do want to work with you either one-on-one or check out your blogs and see what you're putting out into the world, how can they find you?
1: Yeah, the easiest place to go is to go to my main website, which is healthyliferedesign.com. And from there, you can find links to information on my practice. Uh, On that website right now, I mostly have information just on working with me in person, but I do uh, accept applications on a limited basis for remote work with clients. So uh, so send me an email if that's something that they are interested in. I've got my online program at eliminationdietmealplan.com, and that's something that people can sign up for anywhere in the world. And then my podcast is called the Healthy Life Redesign Podcast. And so please check that out. I just started the show again in the last couple of months here. And so it's been really fun and I've got tons of information on that. And then social media can all be found through my blog.
0: Love it. Well, again, thank you so much for being here, Kimberly. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, yeah, I just know everyone listening um, who's interested in this, or maybe had no idea about gut health and just found the show was maybe meant to hear it because it's, it is so important and so helpful. So thank you.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Lizzie. It was great.
0: Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode. It means the world to me. Again, thank you to our sponsors, Organifi. You know, putting superfoods into your diet does not have to be rocket science. Health does not have to be hard. So check them out at Organifyshop.com and use the code LizC15 for 15% off your purchase. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Sunday Scaries. These are the CBD gummies. If you're looking for something to take the edge off, help with anxiety and stress, you know, relieve pain, get you more grounded and centered, these are amazing tools to help you do that. And they're not going to cause any ill effects. You're not going to feel high or out of sorts. Check them out at 4FORSundayScarys.com and use the code UNSTRESS for 10% off your purchase. Also, again, if you're on iTunes and you're listening to this, I would so appreciate a five-star review from you. It's helped so much with the ratings and getting the message out to more people about the show and bringing more awareness to self-love, acceptance, health, nutrition, all of these things that create a beautiful life for all of us. So again, thank you so much for spending your time with me and I'll see you next time.